Hi everybody, Carla here and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, you can reach me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your questions, your comments, and your suggestions for other classic works that you'd like to hear in future. I would also ask you to please comment on the chapter readings and share with others who you think may also enjoy the readings. And lastly, I would ask you to please consider making a small contribution or donation, if you will, to further support the podcast. And now, without further delay, for Adrian, I give you Flowers for Algernon, copyright 1996 by Daniel Keyes. Progress Report 1, March 3rd. Dr. Strauss says, I should write down what I think and remember and everything that happens to me from now on. I don't know why, but he says it's important so they will see if they can use me. I hope they can use me because Miss Kinian says maybe they can make me smart. I want to be smart. My name is Charlie Gordon. I work in Donner's Bakery where Mr. Donner gives me $11 a week and bread or cake if I want. I am 32 years old and next month is my birthday. I told Dr. Strauss and Professor Niemer I can't write good, but he says it don't matter. He says I should write just like I talk and like I write compositions in Miss Kenyon's class at the Beekman College Center for Retarded Adults where I go to learn three times a week on my time off. Dr. Strauss says to write a lot, everything and everything that happens to me, but I can't think anymore because I have nothing to write, so I will close for today. Yours truly, Charlie Gordon. Progress Report 2, March 4th. I had a test today. I think I failed it, and I think maybe now they won't use me. What happened is I went to Professor Niemer's office on my lunchtime, like they said, and his secretary took me to a place that said psych department on the door with a long hall and a lot of little rooms with only a desk and chairs. And a nice man was in one of the rooms and he had some white cards with ink spilled all over them. He said, sit down, Charlie, and make yourself comfortable and relax. He had a white coat like a doctor, but I don't think he was no doctor because he didn't tell me to open my mouth and say, ah. All he had was those white cards. His name is Bert. I forget his last name because I don't remember so good. I didn't know what he was going to do, and I was holding on tight to the chair like sometimes when I go to a dentist. Only Bert ain't no dentist neither, but he kept telling me to relax, and that gets me scared because it always means it's going to hurt. So, Bert said, Charlie, what do you see on this card? I saw the spilled ink, and I was very scared, even though I got my rabbit's foot in my pocket because when I was a kid, I always failed tests in school, and I spilled ink too. I told Bert, I saw ink spilled on a white card. Bert said, yes, and he smiled, and that made me feel good. He kept turning all the cards, and I told him somebody spilled ink on all of them, red and black. I thought that was an easy test, but when I got up to go, Bert stopped me and said, Now sit down, Charlie. We are not through yet. There's more we got to do with these cards. I didn't understand about it, but I remember Dr. Strauss said, Do anything the tester told me, even if it don't make no sense, because that's testing. 
I don't remember so good what Bert said, but I remember he wanted me to say what was in the ink. I didn't see nothing in the ink, but Bert said there was pictures there. I couldn't see no pictures. I really tried to see. I hold the card up close and then far away. Then I said, if I had my eyeglasses, I could probably see better. I usually only wear my eyeglasses in the movies or to watch TV, but I said, maybe they will help me see the pictures in the ink. I put them on and I said, now let me see the card again. And I bet I find it now. I tried hard, but I still couldn't find the pictures. I only saw the ink. I told Bert, maybe I need new glasses. He wrote something down on a paper and I got scared of failing the test. So I told him it was a very nice picture of ink with pretty points all around the edges, but he shaked his head, so that wasn't it neither. I asked him if other people saw things in the ink and he said yes, they imagined pictures in the ink blot. He told me the ink on the card was called ink blot. Bert is very nice and he talks slow like Miss Kenyon does in her class where I go to learn reading for slow adults. He explained to me it was a raw shock test. He said people see things in the ink. I said, show me where. He didn't show me. He just kept saying, think, imagine there's something on the card. I told him I imagine an ink blot. He shaked his head. So that wasn't right either. He said, what does it remind you of? Pretend it's something. I closed my eyes for a long time to pretend. And then I said, I pretend a bottle of ink spilled all over a white card. And that's when the point on his pencil broke. And then we got up and went out. I don't think I passed the raw shock test. 3D progress report, March 5th. Dr. Strauss and Professor Niemer say it don't matter about the ink on the cards. I told them I didn't I didn't spill the ink on them and, and I couldn't see anything in the ink. They said maybe they will still use me. I told Dr. Strauss that Miss Kenyon never gave me tests like that, only writing and reading. He said Miss Kenyon told him I was her bestest pupil in the Bigman School for retarded adults, and I tried the hardest because I really wanted to learn. I, I wanted it more even than people who are smarter, even than me. Dr. Strauss asked me, how come you went to the Bigman School all by, all by yourself, Charlie? How did you find out about it? I said, I don't remember. Professor Niemer said, but why did you want to learn to read and spell in the first place? I told him because all my life I wanted to be smart and not dumb and my mom always told me to try and learn just like Miss Kenyon tells me but it's very hard to be smart and even when I learn something in Miss Kenyon's class at the school I forget a lot. Dr. Strauss wrote some things on a piece of paper and Professor Niemer talked to me very serious. He said, you know, Charlie, we are not sure how this experiment will work on people because we only tried it. We only tried it up to now on animals. I said, that's what Miss Kenyon told me, but I don't even care if, if it hurts or anything because I'm strong and, and I will work hard. I want to get smart if they will let me. They said they got to get permission from my family, but my uncle Herman, who used to take care of me, is dead. And I don't remember about my family. I didn't see my mother or father or my little sister Norma for a long, long time. Maybe they're dead too. Dr. Strauss asked me where they used to live. I think in Brooklyn. He said they will see if maybe they can find them. 
I hope I don't have to write too much on those progress reports because it takes a long time and I get to sleep very late and I'm very tired at work in the morning. Gimpy hollered at me because I dropped a tray full of rolls I was carrying over to the oven. They got dirty and, and he had to wipe them off before he put them in to bake. Gimpy hollers at me all the time when I do something wrong and he really likes me because he's my friend. Boy, if I get smart, won't he be surprised? Progress Report 4 March 6 I had more crazy tests today in case they used me. That same place, but a different little testing room. The nice lady who gave it to me told me the name, and I asked her, how do you spell it, so I can, I can put it down, I can put it down right in my progress report. Thematic apperception test. I don't know the, the first two words, but I know what test means. You got to pass it or you get bad marks. This test looked easy because I could see the pictures. Only this time, she didn't want me to tell what I saw in the pictures. That mixed me up. I told her yesterday, Bird said I should tell what I saw in the ink. She said that don't make a difference because this test is something else. Now you got to make up stories about the people in the pictures. I said, how can I tell stories about people I don't know? She said make-believe, but I told her that's lies. I never tell lies anymore because when I was a kid, I made lies and I always got hit. I got a picture in my wallet of me and Norma with Uncle Herman who gave me the job to be janitor at Donner's Bakery before he died. I said I could make stories about them because I lived with Uncle Herman a long time, but the lady didn't want to hear about them. She said this test and the other one, the raw shock, was forgetting personality. I laughed. I told her, how can you get that thing from cards that somebody spilled ink on and photos of people you don't even know? She looked angry and took the pictures away. I don't care. I guess I failed that test too. Then I drawed some pictures for her, but I don't draw her so good. Later, the other tester, Bert, in the white coat came back. His name was Bert Selden, and he took me to a different place on the same fourth floor in the Beekman University that said Psychology Laboratory on the door. Bert said psychology means minds and laboratory means a place where they make spearmints. I thought he meant like where they made the chewing gum, but now I think it's puzzles and games because that's what we did. I couldn't work the puzzle so good because it was all it was all broke and the pieces couldn't fit in the holes. One game was a paper with lines in all directions and lots of boxes. On one side it said start and on the other end it said finish. He told me that game was amazed and I should take the pencil and go from where it said start to where it said finish without crossing over any of the lines. I didn't understand the amazed, and we used up a lot of papers. Then Bert said, look, I'll show you something. Let's go to the experimental lab. Maybe you'll get the idea. We went up to the fifth floor to another room with lots of cages and animals. They had monkeys and some mouses. I had a funny, it had a funny smell like old garbage, and there was other people in white coats playing with the animals, so I thought it was like a pet store, but there wasn't no customers. Bert took a white mouse out of the cage and showed him to me. Bert said, that's Algernon, and he can do this amazed very good. I told him, you show me how he does that. Well, 
Do you know he put Algernon in a box like a big table with a lot of twists and turns like all kinds of walls and a start and a finish like the paper had, only there was a screen over the big table. And Bert took out his clock and lifted up a sliding door and said, Let's go, Algernon. And the mouse sniffed two or three times and started to run. First, he ran down one long row, and then, when he saw he couldn't go no more, he came back where he started from and just stood there a minute, wiggling his whiskers. Then he went off in the other direction and started to run again. It was like he was doing the same thing Bert wanted me to do with the lines on the paper. I was laughing because I thought it was going to be hard for a mouse to do. But then Algernon kept going all the way through that thing, all the right ways till he came out where it said finish and he made a squeak. Bert says that means he was happy because he did the thing right. Boy, I said, that's a smart mouse. Bert said, would you like to race against Algernon? I said, sure. And he said he had a different kind of a maze made of wood with rows scratched in it and electric stick like a pencil. And he could fix up Algernon's amaze to be the same like that one so we could both be doing the same kind. He moved all the boards around on Algernon's table because they come apart and he could put them together in different ways. And then he put the screen back on top so Algernon wouldn't jump over any rows to get to the finish. Then he gave me the electric stick and showed me how to put it in between the rows and I'm not supposed to lift it off the board. Just follow the little scratches until the pencil can't move anymore or I get a little shock. He took out his clock and he was trying to hide it. So I tried not to look at him, and that made me very nervous. When he said go, I tried to go, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't know the way to take. Then I heard Algernon squeaking from the box on the table and his feet scratching like he was running already. I started to go, but I went in the wrong way and got stuck in a little shock. And I got a little shock in my finger, so I went back to the start. But every time I went a different way, I got stuck and the shock. It didn't hurt or anything, just made me jump a little, and Bert said it was to show me I did the wrong thing. I was halfway on the board when I heard Algernon squeak like he was happy again, and that means he won the race. And the other ten times we did it over, Algernon won every time because I couldn't find the right rows to get to where it says finish. I didn't feel bad because I watched Algernon and I learned how to finish the amaze even if it takes me a long time. I didn't know mice were so smart. Progress Report 5, March 6th. They found my sister Norma, who lives with my mother in Brooklyn, and she gave permission for the operation. So they're going to use me. I'm so excited, I can hardly write it down. But then Professor Niemer and Dr. Strauss had an argument about it first. I was sitting in Professor Niemer's office when Dr. Strauss and Bert Selden came in. Professor Niemer was worried about using me, but Dr. Strauss told him I looked like the best one they've tested so far. Bert told him Miss Kinian recommended me the best from all the people who she was teaching at the Center for Retarded Adults, where I go. Dr. Strauss said I had something that was very good. He said I had a good motivation. I never even know I had that. I felt good when he said not everybody with an IQ of 68 had that thing like I had it. I don't know what it is or where I got it, but he said Algernon had it too. 
Algernon's motivation is the cheese they put in his box. But it can't be only that because I didn't have no cheese this week. Professor Niemer was worried about my IQ getting too high from mine that was too low and I would get sick from it. And Dr. Strauss told Professor Niemer something I didn't understand. So while they was talking, I wrote down some of the words in my notebook for keeping my progress reports. He said, Harold, that's Professor Niemer's first name. I know Charlie is not what you had in mind as the first of your new breed of intellect. Couldn't get the word. Superman. But most people of his low mint are host and uncooped. They are usually dull and apathetic and hard to reach. Charlie has a good nature and he's interested and eager to please. Then Professor Niemer said, remember, he will be the first human being ever to have his intelligence increased by surgery. Dr. Strauss said, that's exactly what I meant. Where will we find another retarded adult with this tremendous motivation to learn? Look how well he has learned to read and write for his low mental age. A tremendous... I didn't get all the words and they were talking so fast, but it sounded like Dr. Strauss and Bert was on my side and Professor Niemer wasn't. Bert kept saying Alice Kenyon feels he has an overwhelmed desire to learn. He actually begged to be used. And that's true because I wanted to be smart. Dr. Strauss got up and walked around and said, I say we use Charlie. And Bert nodded. Professor Niemer scratched his head and rubbed his nose with his thumb and said, Maybe you're right. We will use Charlie, but we've got to make him understand that a lot of things can go wrong with the experiment. When he said that, I got so happy and excited, I jumped up and shaked his hand for being so good to me. I think he got scared when I did that. He said, Charlie, we worked on this for a long time, but only on animals like Algernon. We are sure there's no physical danger for you, but there are other things we, we can't tell until we try it. I want you to understand this might fail and then nothing would happen at all. Or it might even be, it might even succeed temporary and leave you worse off than you are now. Do you understand what that means? If that happens, we will have to send you back to the Warren State home to live. I said, I didn't care because I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm very strong and I always do good. And beside, I got my lucky rabbit's foot and I never break the mirror in my life. I dropped some dishes once, but that don't count for bad luck. Then Dr. Strauss said, Charlie, even if this fails, you're making a great contribution to science. This experiment has been successful on lots of animals, but it's never been tried on a human being. You will be the first. I told him, thanks, Doc. You won't be sorry for giving me my second chance, like Miss Kenyon says. And I mean it like I told him. After the operation, I'm going to try to be smart. I'm going to try awful hard. Progress report, 6th, March 8th. I'm scared. Lots of people who work at the college and the people at the medical school came to wish me luck. Bert, the tester, brought me some flowers. He said they were from the people at the psych department. He wished me luck. I hope I have luck. I got my rabbit's foot and my lucky penny and my horseshoe. Dr. Strauss said, don't be superstitious, Charlie. This is science. I don't know what science is, but they all keep saying it is so. Maybe it's something that helps you have good luck. Anyway, I'm keeping my rabbit's foot in one hand and my lucky penny in the other hand with the hole in it. The penny, I mean. 
I wish I could take the horseshoe with me, but it's too heavy, so I'll just leave it in my jacket. Joe Cart from the bakery brought me a chocolate cake from Mr. Donner and the folks at the bakery, and they hope I get better soon. At the bakery, they think I'm sick because that's what Professor Niemer said I should tell them, and nothing about an operation for getting smart. That's a secret until after, in case it don't work or something goes wrong. Then Miss Kenyon came to see me, and she brought me some magazines to read, and she looked kind of nervous and scared. She fixed up the flowers on my table and put everything nice and neat, not messed up like I made it, and she fixed the pillow under my head. She likes me a lot because I try very hard to learn everything, not like some of the other people at the adult center who don't really care. She wants me to get smart. I know. Then Professor Niemer said, I can't have any more visitors because I got to rest. I asked Professor Niemer if I could beat Algernon in the race after the operation, and he said, maybe. If the operation works good, I'll show that mouse I can be as smart as he is, even smarter. Then I'll be able to read better and spell the words good and know lots of things and be like other people. Boy, that would surprise everyone. If the operation works and I get smart, maybe I'll be able to find my mom and dad and sister and show them. Boy, would they be surprised to see me smart, just like them and my sister. Professor Niemer says, if it works good and it's permanent, they will make other people smart like me also. Maybe people all over the world. And he said, that means I'm doing something great for science and I'll be famous and my name will go down in the books. I don't care so much about being famous. I, I just want to be smart like other people so I can have lots of friends who like me. They didn't give me anything to eat today. I don't know what, what eating got to do with getting smart, and I'm hungry. Professor Niemer took away my chocolate cake. That Professor Niemer is a grouch. Dr. Dr. Strauss says, I can have it back after the operation. You can't eat before an operation. Not even cheese. Progress Report 7, March 11. The operation didn't hurt. Dr. Strauss did it while I was sleeping. I don't know how because I didn't see, but there were bandages on my eyes and my, and my head for three days, so I couldn't make no progress report till today. The skinny nurse who watched me writing says I spelled progress wrong, and she told me how to spell it and report to and march. I got to remember that. I have a very bad memory for spelling. Anyway, they, they took off the bandages from my eyes today so I can make a progress report now. But there are still some bandages on my head. I was scared when they came in and told me it was time to go for the operation. They made me get out of the bed and on another bed that, was, that has wheels on it. And they rolled me out of the room and down the hall to the door that says surgery. Boy, was I surprised that... It was a big room with green walls and lots of doctors sitting around up high all around the room watching the operation. I didn't know it was going to be like a, a show. A man came up to the table all in white and with a white cloth on his face like in TV shows and rubber gloves. And he said, relax, Charlie. It's me, Dr. Strauss. I said, hi, doc. I'm scared. He said, there's nothing to be scared about, Charlie. He said, you, you just go to sleep. I said, that's what I'm scared about. He patted my head, and then two other men wearing white masks came too and strapped my arms and legs down so I couldn't move them, and they made me very scared and my stomach filled tight like I was going to make like like I was going to make all over, but I didn't only wet a little and I was going to cry, but they put a rubber thing on my face for me to breathe and it smelled funny. 
All the time I heard Dr. Strauss talking out loud about the operation, telling everybody what he was going to do, but I didn't understand anything about it. And I was thinking maybe after the operation, I'll be smart and I'll understand all the things he's talking about. So I breathed deep and then I guess I was very tired because I went to sleep. When I waked up, I was back in my bed and it was very dark. I couldn't see nothing, but I heard some talking. It was the nurse and Bert. And I said, what's the matter? Why don't you put on the lights? And, and when are they going to operate? And they laughed and, and Bert said, Charlie, it's all over. And it's dark because you've got bandages over your eyes. It's a funny thing. They did it while I was sleeping. Bert comes in to see me every day to write down all the things like my temperature and my blood pressure and all other things about me. He says it's on account of the scientific method. They got to keep records about what happens so they can do it again when they want to. Not to me, but to the other people like me who ain't smart. That's why I got to do these progress progress reports. Bert says it's part of the experiment and they will make photostats of the reports to study them so they will know what is going on in my mind. I don't see how they will know what's going on in my mind by looking at these reports. I read them over and over a lot of times to see what I wrote and I don't know what's going on in my mind. So how are they going to know? But anyway, that's science. And I got to try to be smart like other people. Then when I am smart, they will talk to me and I can sit with them and listen like Joe Carp and Frank and Gimpy, and Gimpy do when, when they talk and have a discussion about important things. While they're working, they start talking about things like about God or about the trouble with all the money the president is spending or about the Republicans and Democrats. And they get all excited like they're going to have a fight. So Mr. Donner got to come in and tell them to get back to baking or they're all going to get canned union or no union. I want to talk about things like that. If you're smart, you can have lots of friends to talk to and you never get lonely by yourself all the time. Professor Niemer says, it's okay to talk about all the things that happened to me in the progress reports, but he says, I should write more about what I feel and what I think and remember about the past. I told him, I don't know how, how to think or remember. And he said, just try. All the time, the bandages were on my eyes. I tried to think and remember, but nothing happened. I don't know what to, what to think or remember about. Maybe if I ask him, he will tell me how I can think now, now that I'm supposed to get smart. What do smart people think about or remember? Fancy things, I bet. I wish I knew some fancy things already. March 12th. I don't have to write progress report on top every day just when I start a new batch after Professor Niemer takes the old ones away. I just have to put the date on top. That saves time. It, it's a good idea. I can sit up in bed and look out the window and the grass and trees outside. The skinny nurse's name is Hilda and she is very good to me. She brings me things to eat and she fixes my bed and she says I was very brave to let them do things to my head. She says she would never let them do things to her brains for all the tea in China. I told her it wasn't for tea in China. It was to make me smart. And she said, maybe they got no right to make me smart because if God wanted me to be smart, he would have made me born that way. And what about Adam and Eve and the sin with the tree of knowledge and eating the apple and, and, and the fall? And maybe Professor Niemer and Dr. Strauss was tampering with things they got no right to tamper with. She's very skinny, and when she talks, her face gets all red. She says, maybe I better pray to God to ask him to forgive what they done to me. I didn't eat no apples or do nothing sinful. 
And now I'm scared. Maybe I shouldn't have let them operate on my brains. Like she said, if it's against God, I don't want to make God angry. March 13th. They changed my nurse today. This is, this one is pretty. Her name is Lucille. She showed me how to spell it for my progress report and she got yellow hair and blue eyes. I asked her where was Hilda and she said Hilda wasn't working in that part of the hospital no more. Only in the maternity ward by the babies where it don't matter if she talks too much. When I asked her about what is maternity, she said it's about having babies. But when I asked her how they have them, she got red in the face, just the same like Hilda. And she said she got to take somebody's temperature. Nobody ever tells me about the babies. Maybe if this thing works and I get smart, I'll find out. Miss Kenyon came to see me today and she said, Charlie, you look wonderful. I told her I feel fine, but I don't feel smart yet. I thought that when the operation was over and they took the bandages off my eyes, I'd be smart and, and know a lot of things so I could read and talk about important things like everybody else. She said, that's not the way it works, Charlie. It comes slowly and you have to work very hard to get smart. I didn't know that. If I got to work hard anyway, what did I have to have the operation for? She said she wasn't sure, but the operation was to make it so that when I did work hard to get smart, it would stick with me and not be like it was before when it didn't stick so good. Well, I told her that made me feel kind of bad because I thought I was going to be smart right away and I could go back to show the, the guys at the bakery how smart I am and talk with them about things and maybe even get to be an assistant baker. Then I was going to try and find my mom and dad. They would be surprised to see how smart I got because my mom always wanted me to be smart. Maybe they wouldn't send me away no more if they saw how smart I am. I told Miss Kenyon I would try hard to be smart as hard as I can. She patted my hand and said, I know you will. I have faith in you, Charlie. Progress Report 8, March 15th. I'm out of the hospital, but not back at work yet. Nothing is happening. I had lots of tests and different kinds of races with Algernon. I hate that mouse. He always beats me. Professor Nemer says, I got to play those games and I got to take those tests over and over again. Those amazes are stupid and those pictures are stupid too. I like to draw the pictures of a man and woman, but I won't make up lies about people. And I can't do the puzzles good. I get headaches from trying to think and remember so much. Dr. Strauss promised he was going to help me, but he don't. He don't tell me what to think or when I'll get smart. He just makes me lay down on the couch and talk. Miss Kenyon comes to see me at the college too. I told her nothing was happening. When am I going to get smart? She said, you got to be patient, Charlie. These things take time. It will happen so slowly you won't know it's happening. She said Bert told her I was coming along fine. I still think those races and those tests are stupid, and I think writing these progress reports are stupid too. March 16th. I ate lunch with Bert at the college restaurant. They got all kinds of good food, and I don't have to pay for it either. I like to sit and watch the college boys and girls. They fool around sometimes, but mostly they talk about all kinds of things, just like the bakers do at Donner's Bakery. Bert says it's about art and politics and religion. I don't know what those things are about, but I know religion is God. Mom used to tell me all about him and the things he'd done to make the world. She said I should always love God and pray to him. I don't remember how to pray to him, but I think mom used to make me pray to him a lot when I was a kid. Then he should make me get better and not be sick. I don't remember how 
how I was sick. I think it was about me not being smart. Anyway, Bert says, if the experiment works, I'll be able to understand all those things the students are talking about. And I said, do you think I'll be smart like them? And he laughed and said, those kids aren't so smart. You'll pass them as if they're standing still. He introduced me to a lot of the students and some of them look at me funny like I don't belong in a college. I almost forgot and started to tell them I was going to be smart soon like them. But Bert interrupted and he told them I was cleaning the psych department lab. Later, he explained to me there, muse, there mustn't be any publicity. That means it's a secret. I don't really understand why I got to keep it a secret. Bert says it's in case there's a failure. Professor Niemer don't want everybody to laugh, especially the people from the Wilberg Foundation who gave him the money for the project. I said, I don't care if people laugh at me. Lots of people laugh at me and they're my friends and we have fun. Bert put his arm on my shoulder and said, it's not you, Niemer's worried about. He don't want people to laugh at him. I didn't think people would laugh at Professor Niemer because he's a scientist in a college, but Bert said no scientist is a great man to his college and his graduate students. Bert is a graduate student and he is a major in psychology like the name on the door to the lab. I didn't know they had majors in college. I thought it was only in the army. Anyway, I hope I get smart soon because I want to learn everything there is in the world, like the college boys know, all about art and, and politics and God. March 17th. When I waked up this morning, right away I thought I was going to be smart, but I'm not. Every morning I think I'm going to be smart, but nothing happens. Maybe the experiment didn't work. Maybe I won't get smart and I'll have to go live at the Warren home. I hate the tests and I hate the amazed and I hate Algernon. I never knew before that I was dumber than a mouse. I don't feel like writing any more progress reports. I forget things and even when I write them in my notebook sometimes, I can't read my own writing and it's very hard. Miss Kinnian says, have patience, but I feel sick and tired and I get headaches all the time. I want to go back to work in the bakery and not write progress reports anymore. March 20th. I'm going back to work at the bakery, Dr. Strauss told Professor Niemer. It was better. I should go back to work, but I still can't tell anyone what the operation was for. And I have to come to the lab for every two hours, for every two hours, every night after work for my tests and keep writing these dumb reports. They are going to pay me every week, like for a part-time job, because that was part of the arrangement when they got the money from the Wilberg Foundation. I still don't know what that Wilberg thing is. Miss Kinnian explained me, but I still don't get it. So if I didn't get smart, why are, they, why are they paying me to write these dumb things? If they're going to pay me, I'll do it. But it's very hard to write. I'm glad I'm going back to work because I miss my job at the bakery and all my friends and all the fun we have. Dr. Strauss says I should keep a notebook in my pocket for things I remember. And I don't have to do the progress reports every day, just when I think of something or something special happens. I told him nothing special ever happens to me, and it don't look like this special experiment is going to happen neither. He says, don't get discouraged, Charlie, because it takes a long time and it happens slow and you can't notice it right away. He explained how it took a long time with Algernon before he got three times smarter than he was before. That's why Algernon beats me all the time in that amaze race, because he had that operation too. He's a special mouse, the first animal to stay smart so long after the operation. I didn't know he was a special mouse. 
That makes it different. I could probably do that amazed faster than a regular mouse. Maybe someday I'll beat Algernon. Boy, would that be something. Dr. Strauss says that so far, Algernon looks like he might be smart permanent. And he says that's a good sign because we both had the same kind of operation. March 21st. We had a lot of fun at the bakery today. Joe Carp said, hey, look where Charlie had his operation. What they did to Charlie, what did they do, Charlie? Put in some brains? I was going to tell him about me getting smart, but I remembered Professor Niemer said no. Then Frank Riley said, what did you do, Charlie? Open the door the hard way? That made me laugh. They're my friends and, and they really like me. There is a lot of work to catch up. They didn't have anyone to clean out the place because it was my job, but they got a new boy, Ernie, to do all the deliveries that I always done. Mr. Donner said he decided not to fire him for a while to give me the chance to rest up and not work so hard. I told him I was all right and I could make my deliveries and clean up like I always done, but Mr. Donner says he will keep the boy. I said, so what am I going to do? And Mr. Donner patted me on the shoulder and says, Charlie, how old are you? I told him 32 years, going on 33 my next birthday. And how long you been here, he said. I told him I didn't know. He said, you came here 17 years ago. Your uncle Herman, God rest his soul, was my best friend. He brought you in here and asked me to let you work here and look after you as best I could. And when he died two years later and your mother had you committed to, to the Warren home, I got them to release you outside the work placement. 17 years it's been, Charlie, and I want you to know that the bakery business is not so good, but like I always said, you got a job here for the rest of your life. So don't worry about me bringing in somebody to take your place. You'll never have to go back to that Warren home. I ain't worried, only what does he need Ernie for to, to deliver and work around here when I was always delivering the, the packages good? He says the boy needs the money, Charlie, so I'm going to keep him on as an apprentice to learn him to be a baker. You can be his assistant and help him out on deliveries when he needs it. I never was a assistant before. Ernie is very smart, but the other people in the bakery don't like him so much. They're all my good friends and we have lots of jokes and laughs here. Sometimes somebody will say, hey, look at Frank or Joe or even Gimpy. He really pulled a Charlie Gordon that time. I don't know why they say it, but they always laugh and I laugh too. This morning, Gimpy, he's the head baker and he's had a bad foot and he limps. He used my name when he shouted at Ernie because Ernie lost a birthday cake. He said, Ernie, for God's sake, you trying to be a Charlie Gordon? I don't know why he said that. I never lost any packages. I asked Mr. Donner if I could learn to be an apprentice baker like Ernie. I told him I could learn if he gave me a chance. Mr. Donner looked at me for a long time. Funny because I guess I don't talk so much because I don't talk so much most of the time. And Frank heard me and laughed and laughed until Mr. Donner told him to shut up and go tend to his oven. Then Mr. Donner said to me, there's lots of time for that, Charlie. A baker's work is very important and very complicated and you shouldn't worry about things like that. I wish I could tell him and all the other people about my real operation. I wish it would really work already so I could get smart like everybody else. March 24th. Professor Niemer and Dr. Strauss came to my room tonight to see why I don't come into the lab like I am supposed to. I told them I don't want to race with Algernon no more. Professor Niemer said, I don't have to for a while, but I should come in anyway. He brought me a present, only it wasn't a present, but just for Lind. He said, it's a teaching machine that works like TV. 
It talks and, and makes pictures and I got to turn it on just before I go to sleep. I said, you're kidding. Why should I turn on the TV before I go to sleep? But Professor Niemer said, if I want to get smart, I got to do what he says. So I told him I didn't think I was going to get smart anyway. Then Dr. Strauss came over and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Charlie, you don't know it yet, but you're getting smarter all the time. You won't notice it for a while like you don't notice how the hour hand on a clock moves. That's the way it is with the changes in you. They are happening so slow you can't tell, but we can follow it from the tests and the way you act and talk and your progress reports. He said, Charlie, you've got to have faith in us and in yourself. We can't be sure it will be permanent, but we are confident that soon you're going to be very, you're going to be a very intelligent young man. I said, okay. And Professor Niemer showed me how to work that TV that really wasn't a TV. I asked him, what did it do? First, he looked sore again because I asked him to explain me, and he said I should just do what he told me. But Dr. Strauss said he should explain it to me because I was beginning to question authority. I don't know what that means, but Professor Niemer looked like he was going to bite his lip off. Then he explained me very slow that the machine did lots of things to my mind. Some things it did just before I fall asleep, like teach me things when I'm very sleepy and a little while after I start to fall asleep. I still hear the talk even if I don't see the pictures anymore. Other things is at night it's supposed to make me have dreams and remember things that happened a long time ago when I was a very little kid. It's scary. Oh yes, I forgot. I asked Professor Niemer when I can go back to Miss Kenyon's class at the adult center and he said soon Miss Kenyon will come to the college testing center to teach me special. I am glad about that. I didn't see her so much ever since the operation, but she is nice. March 25th. That crazy TV kept me up all night. How can I sleep with something yelling crazy things all night in my ears and the nutty pictures? Wow, I don't know what it says when I'm up, so how am I going to know when I'm sleeping? I asked Bert about it, and he says it's okay. He says my brains are learning just before I got to sleep, and that will help me when Miss Kenyon starts my lessons at the testing center. The testing center isn't a hospital for animals like I thought before. It's a laboratory for science. I don't know what science is, except I'm helping it with this experiment. Anyway, I don't know about that TV. I think it's crazy. If you can get smart when you're going to sleep, why do people go to school? I don't think that thing will work. I used to watch The Late Show and The Late Late Show on TV all the time before I went to sleep, and it never made me smart. Maybe only certain movies make you smart. Maybe like quiz shows. March 26. How am I going to work in the daytime if that thing keeps me keeps waking me up at night? In the middle of the night, I woke up and I couldn't go back to sleep because it kept saying, remember, remember, remember. So I think I remembered something. I don't remember exactly, but it was about Miss Kenyon and the school where I learned about reading and how I went there. A long time ago, once I asked Joe Carp how he learned to read and if and if I could learn to read too. He laughed like he always done when I say something funny. And he says to me, Charlie, why waste your time? They can't put any brains in where there ain't none. But Fanny Burden heard me and she asked her cousin who is a college student at Beekman and she told me about the Adult Center for Retarded People at the Beekman College. She wrote the name down on a piece of paper and Frank laughed and said, don't go getting so so educated that you can't talk to your old friends. I said, don't worry, I will always keep my old friends even if I can read and write. 
He was laughing and Joe Carp was laughing, but Gippy came in and told them to get back to making rolls. They are all good friends to me. After work, I walked over six blocks to the school and I was scared. I was so happy I was going to learn to read that I brought a newspaper to take home with me and read after I learned. When I got there, it was a big, long hall with lots of people. I got scared of saying something wrong to somebody, so I started to go home. But I don't know why I turned around and went in and went inside again. I waited until most everybody went away, except some people going over by a big time clock, like the one we have at the bakery. And I asked the lady if I could learn to read and write because I wanted to read all the things in the newspaper, and I showed it to her. She was Miss Kenyon, but I didn't know it then. She said, if you come back tomorrow and register, I will start to teach you how to read. But you got to understand it will take a long time, maybe years to learn to read. I told her I didn't know it took so long, but I wanted to learn anyway because I made believe a lots of times. I mean, I pretend to people I know how to read, but it ain't true. And I wanted to learn. She shaked my hand and said, glad to meet you, Mr. Gordon. I will be your teacher. My name is Miss Kenyon. So that's where I went to learn. And that's how I met Miss Kenyon. Thinking and remembering is hard. And now I don't sleep so good anymore. That TV is too loud. March 27th. Now that I'm starting to have those dreams and remembering, Professor Niemer says I got to go to therapy sessions with Dr. Strauss. He says therapy sessions is like when you feel bad, you talk to make it better. I told him I don't feel bad and I do plenty of talking all day, so why do I have to go to therapy? But he got sore and says I got to go anyway. What therapy is, is that I got to lay down on a couch and Dr. Strauss sits in a chair near me and I talk about anything that comes into my head. For a long time, I didn't say nothing because I couldn't think of nothing to say. Then I told him about the bakery and the things they do there. But it's silly for me to go to his office and lay down on a couch to talk because I write it down in the progress reports anyway and he could read it. So today I brought the progress report with me and I told him maybe he should just read it and I could take a nap on the couch. I was very tired because that TV kept me up all night, but he said, no, it don't work that way. I got to talk. So I talked, but then I fell asleep on the couch anyway, right in the middle. March 28th. I got a headache. It's not from the TV this time. Dr. Strauss showed me how to keep the TV turned low so I can sleep. I don't hear a thing, and I still don't understand what it says. A few times I play it over in the morning to find out what I learned before I fell asleep and while I was sleeping, and I don't even know the words. Maybe it's another language or something, but most times it sounds American, but it talks too fast. I asked Dr. Strauss, what good is it to get smart in my sleep if I want to be smart when I'm awake? He says, it's the same thing and I have two minds. There's the subconscious and the conscious, that's how you spell it, and one don't tell the other what one is doing. They don't even talk to each other. That's why I dream, and boy have I been having crazy dreams. Wow, ever since that night TV, the, the late, 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 late movie show, I forgot to ask Dr. Strauss if it was only me or if it was everybody has two minds like that. 
I, I just looked up the word in the dictionary Dr. Strauss gave me, subconscious adjective of the nature of mental operations, yet not present in consciousness as subconscious conflict of desires. There's more, but I still don't know what it means. This isn't a very good dictionary for dumb people like me. Anyway, the headache is from the party. Joe Carp and Frank Riley invited me to go with them after work to Halloran's, to Halloran's Bar for some drinks. I don't like to drink whiskey, but they said we will have lots of fun. I had a good time. We, we played games with me doing a dance on the top of the bar with the lampshade on my head and everyone laughing. Then Joe Carp said I should show the girls how I mop out the toilet in the bakery and he got me a mop. I showed them and everyone laughed when I told them that Mr. Donner said I was the best janitor and errand boy he ever had because I like my job and do it good and never come late or miss a day except for my operation. I said, Miss Kenyon always told me, Charlie, be proud of the work you do because you do your job good. Everybody laughed and Frank said that Miss Kenyon must be, must be some cracked up piece if she goes after Charlie. And Joe said, hey, Charlie, are you making out with her? I said, I didn't know what that means. They gave me lots of drinks and Joe said, Charlie is a card when he's potted. I think that means they like me. We have some good times, but I can't wait to be smart like my best friends, Joe Carp and Frank Riley. I don't remember how the party was over, but they asked me to go around the corner to see if it was raining, and when I came back, there was no one there. Maybe they went to find me. I looked for them all over till it was late, but I got lost, and I felt bad at myself for getting lost because I bet, I bet Algernon could go up and down those streets a hundred times and not get lost like I did. Then I don't remember so good, but Mrs. Flynn says a nice policeman brought me back home. That same night, I dreamed about my mother and father, only I couldn't see her face. It was all white, and she was blurry. I was crying because we were in a big department store, and I was lost, and I couldn't find them. And I ran up and down the rows around the big counters in the store. Then a man came and took me in a big room with benches and gave me a lollipop and told me a big boy like me shouldn't cry because my mother and father would come find me. Anyway, that's the dream, and, and I got a headache and a big lump on my head and black and blue marks all over. Joe Carp says maybe I got rolled or the cop let me have it. I don't think policemen do things like that, but anyway, I don't think I'll drink whiskey anymore. March 29th. I beat Algernon. I didn't even know I beat him until Bert Selden told me. Then the second time I lost because I got so excited. But after that, I beat him eight more times. I must be getting smart to beat a smart mouse like Algernon. But I don't feel smarter. I wanted to race some more, but Bert said that's enough for one day. He let me hold Algernon for a minute. Algernon is a nice mouse, soft like, like cotton. He blinks, and when he opens his eyes, they're black and pink on the edges. I asked, can I feed him? Because I felt bad to beat him, and I wanted to be nice and make friends. Bert said, no, Algernon is a very special mouse with an operation like mine. He was the first of all the animals to stay smart so long, and, and he said that Algernon is so smart, he has to solve a problem with a lock that changes every time he goes in to eat, so he has to learn something new to get his food. That made me sad, because if he couldn't learn, he wouldn't be able to get food, and he would be hungry. I don't think it's right to make you pass a test to eat. How would Bert like to have to pass a test every time he wants to eat? I think I'll be friends with Algernon. 
that that reminds me. Dr. Strauss says I should write down all my dreams and the things I think so when I come to his office I can tell them. I told him I don't know how to think yet but he says he means more things like what I wrote about my mom and dad and about when I started school at Miss Kenyon's or anything that happened before the operation is thinking and I wrote them in my progress report. I didn't know I was thinking and remembering. Maybe that means something is happening to me. I don't feel different, but I'm excited. I, I can't sleep. Dr. Strauss gave me some pink pills to make me sleep good. He says I got to get lots of sleep because that's when most of the changes happen in my brain. It must be true because Uncle Herman used to sleep in our house all the time when he was out of work on the old sofa in the parlor. He was fat and it was hard for him to get a job because he used to paint people's houses and he got very slow going up and down the ladder. When I once told my mom I wanted to be a painter like Uncle Herman, my sister Norma said, yeah, Charlie's going to be the artist of the family. And Dad slapped her face and told her not to be so goddamn nasty to her brother. I don't know what an artist is, but if Norma got slapped for saying it, I guess it's not a nice thing. I always feel bad when Norma got slapped for being mean to me. When I get smart, I'll, I'll go visit her. March 30th. Tonight, after work, Miss Kenyon came to the teaching room near the laboratory. She looked glad to see me, but nervous. She looks younger than I remember her. I told her I was trying very hard to be smart. She said, I have confidence in you, Charlie, the way you struggled so much to read and write better than all the others. I know you can do it. At worst, you will have it all for a little while, and you're doing something for other retarded people. We started to read a very hard book. I never read such a hard book before. It's called Robinson Crusoe about a man who gets marooned on a desert island. He's smart and, and figures out all kinds of things so he can have a house and food and he's a good swimmer. Only I feel sorry for him because he's all alone and he has no friends. But I think there must be somebody else on the island because there is a picture of him with his funny umbrella looking at feet prints. I hope he gets a friend and not be so lonely. March 31st. Miss Kenyon teaches me how to spell better. She says, look at a word and close your eyes and say it over and over again until you remember. I have lots of trouble with through that you say through and enough and tough that you don't say inu and too. You got to say enough and tough. That's how I used to write it before I started to get smart. I'm mixed up, but Miss Kenyon says, don't worry, spelling is not supposed to make sense. Progress Report 9, April 1st. Everybody in the bakery came to see me today where I started my new job working by the dough mixer. It happened like this. Oliver, who works on the mixer, quit yesterday. I used to help him out before bringing the bags of flour over for him to put in the mixer. Anyway, I didn't know that I knew how to work the mixer. It's very hard, and Oliver went to baker school for one year before he could learn how to be an assistant baker. But Joe Cart, he's my friend. He said, Charlie, why don't you take over Oliver's job? Everybody on the floor came around, and they were laughing. And Frank Riley said, yes, Charlie, you've been here long enough go ahead. Gimpy ain't around and he won't know you tried it. I was scared because Gimpy is the head baker and he told me never go near the mixer because I would get hurt. Everyone said do it except Fanny Burden who said stop it why don't you leave the poor man alone. 
Frank Riley said, shut up, Fanny. It's April Fool's Day. And if Charlie works on the mixer, he might fix it good. So we will all have the day off. I said, I couldn't fix the machine, but I would work it because I've been watching Oliver ever since I got back. I worked the dough mixer and everybody was surprised, especially Frank Riley. Fanny Burden got excited because she said it took Oliver two years to learn how to mix the dough right, and he went to baker school. Bernie Bates, who helps on the machine, said, I did it faster than Oliver did and better. Nobody laughed. When Gippy came back and Fanny told him, he got sore at me for working on the mixer. But she said, watch him and see how he does it. They were playing for him an April Fool's joke, and he fooled them instead. Gimpy watched, and I knew he was sore at me because he don't like when people don't do what he tells them, just like Professor Niemer. But he saw how I worked, the mixer, and he scratched his head and said, I see it, but I don't believe it. Then he called Mr. Donner and told me to work it again so Mr. Donner could see it. I was scared he was going to be angry and holler at me, so after I was finished, I said, can I go back to my own job now? I got to sweep out the front of the bakery behind the counter. Mr. Donner looked at me funny for a long time. Then he said, this must be some kind of April Fool's joke you guys are playing on me. What's the catch? Gimpy said, that's what I thought, that's what I thought it was, some kind of a gag. He limped all around the machine and he said to Mr. Donner, I don't understand it either, but Charlie knows how to handle it. And I got to admit, he does it, he does a better job than Oliver. Everybody was crowded around and talking about it, and I got scared because they all looked at me funny and they were excited. Frank said, I told you there was something peculiar lately about Charlie. And Joe Carp says, yeah, I know what you mean. Mr. Donner sent everybody back to work, and he took me out to the front of the store with him. He said, Charlie, I don't know how you done it, but it looks like you finally learned something. I want you to be careful and do the best you can do. You got yourself a new job with a $5 raise. I said, I don't want a new job because I like to clean up and sweep and deliver and do things for my friends. But Mr. Donner said, never mind your friends. I need you for this job. I don't think much of a man who don't want to advance. I said, what's advance mean? He scratched his head and looked at me over his glasses. Never mind that, Charlie. From now on, you work that mixer. That's advance. So now, instead of delivering packages and washing out the toilets and dumping the garbage, I'm the new mixer. That's advance. Tomorrow, I will tell Miss Kinian. I think she will be happy, but I don't know why Frank and Joe are mad at me. I asked Fanny, and she said, never mind those fools. This is April Fool's Day, and the joke backfired and made them the fools instead of you. I asked Joe to tell me what was the joke that backfired, and he said, go jump in the lake. I guess they're mad at me because I worked the machine, but they didn't get the day off like they thought. Does that mean I'm getting smarter? April 3rd. Finished Robinson Crusoe. I want to find out more about what happens to him, but Miss Kenyon says that's all there is. Why? April 4th. Miss Kenyon says, I'm learning fast. She read some of my progress reports and she looked at me kind of funny. She says, I'm a fine person and I'll show them all. I asked her why. She said, never mind, but I shouldn't feel bad if I find out that everybody isn't nice like I think. She said, for a person who God gave so little to, you did more than a lot of people with brains they never even used. I said that all my friends are smart people and they're good. They like me and they never did anything that wasn't nice. Then she got something in her eye and she had to run out to the ladies' room.
While I was sitting in the teaching room waiting for her, I, I was wondering about how Miss Kenyon was a nice lady like my mother used to be. I think I remember my mother told me to be good and always be friendly to people. She said, but always be careful because some people don't understand and they might think you're trying to make trouble. That makes me remember when mom had to go away and they put me to stay in Miss Leroy's house who lived next door. Mom went to the hospital. Dad said she wasn't sick or nothing, but she went to the hospital to bring me back a baby sister or a brother. I still don't know how they do that. I told them I want a baby brother to play with, and I don't know why they got me a sister instead, but she was like a nice doll. Only she cried all the time. I never heard her or nothing. They put her in a crib in their room, and once I heard Dad say, don't worry, Charlie wouldn't harm her. She was like a bundle, all pink and screaming sometimes that I couldn't sleep. And when I went to sleep, she woke me up in the nighttime. One time when they were in the kitchen and I was in my bed, she was crying. I, I got to pick her up and hold her to get her quiet the way mom does. But then mom came in yelling and took her away and she slapped me so hard I fell on the bed. Then she started screaming, don't you ever touch her again. You will hurt her. She's a baby. You got no business touching her. I didn't know it then, but I guess I know it now that she thought I was going to hurt the baby because I was too dumb to know what I was doing. Now that makes me feel bad because I would never hurt the baby. When I go to Dr. Strauss's office, I got to tell him about that. April 6th. Today, I learned the comma. This is a comma, a period with a tail, Miss Kinnian says. It's, it's important because it makes writing better, she said. Somebody could lose... Somebody could lose a lot of money if a comma isn't in the right place. I got some money that I saved from my job and what the foundation pays me, but not much. And I don't see how a comma keeps you from losing it. But she says, everybody uses comma, so I'll use them too. April 7, I used the comma wrong. It's punctuation. Miss Kinnian told me to look up long words in the dictionary to learn to spell them. I said, what's the difference if you can read it anyway? She said, it's part of your education from now on. I'll look up all the words I'm not sure how to spell. It takes a long time to write that way, but I think I'm remembering more and more. Anyway, that's how I got the word punctuation right. It's that way in the dictionary. Miss Kenyon says, a period is punctuation too, and there are lots of other marks to learn. I told her I thought she meant all the periods have to have tails and be called commas, but she said no. She said, you got to mix them up. She showed me how to mix them up, and now I can mix them all up, all kinds of punctuation in my writing. There are lots of rules to learn, but I'm getting them in my head. One thing I like about Dear Miss Kenyon, that's the way it goes in a business letter if I ever go into business, is that she always gives me a reason when I ask. She's a genius. I wish I could be smart like her. Punctuation is fun. April 8th. What a dope I am. I didn't even understand what she was talking about. I read the grammar book last night and it explains the whole thing. Then I saw it was the same way as Miss Kenyon was trying to tell me, but I couldn't get it. I got up in the middle of the night and the whole thing straightened out in my mind. Miss Kenyon said the TV was working just before I fell asleep and during the night helped out. She said I reached a plateau. That's like the flat top of a hill. After I figured out how punctuation worked, I read over all my old progress reports from the beginning. 
boy, did I have crazy spelling and punctuation. I told Miss Kenyon I ought to go over the pages and fix all the mistakes, but she said, no, Charlie, Professor Nehmer wants them just as they are. That's why he lets you keep them after their photo state, after their photo saved, to see your own progress. You're coming along fast, Charlie. That made me feel good. After the lesson, I went down and played with Algernon. We don't race anymore. April 10th. I feel sick. Not like for a doctor, but inside my chest, it feels empty, like getting punched and a heartburn at the same time. I wasn't going to write about it, but I guess I got to because it's important. Today was the first day I ever stayed home from work on purpose. Last night, Joe Carp and Frank Riley invited me to a party. There were lots of girls and Gimpy was there and Ernie too. I remembered how I got sick last time. I drank too much, so I told Joe I didn't want to drink anything. He gave me a plain Coke instead. It tasted funny, but I thought it was just a bad taste in my mouth. We had a lot of fun for a while. Dance with Ellen, Joe said. She'll teach you the steps. Then he winked at her like he had something in his eye. She said, why don't you leave him alone? He slapped me on the back. This is Charlie Gordon, my buddy, my pal. He's no ordinary guy. He's been promoted to working on the dough mixing machine. All I did was ask you to dance with him and give him a good time. What's wrong with that? He pushed me up close against her. So she danced with me. I fell three times and I couldn't understand why because no one else was dancing besides Ellen and me. And all the time I was tripping because somebody's foot was always sticking out. They were all around in a circle watching and laughing at the way you were doing at the way we were doing the steps. They laughed harder every time I fell, and I was laughing too because it was so funny. But the last time it happened, I didn't laugh. I picked myself up and Joe pushed me down again. Then I saw the look on Joe's face and it gave me a funny feeling in my stomach. He's a scream, one of the girls said. Everybody was laughing. Oh, you were right, Frank, chucked Ellen. He's a one-man show. Then she said, here, Charlie, have a fruit. She gave me an apple, but when I bit into it, it was fake. Then Frank started laughing, and he said, I told you he'd eat it. Can you imagine anyone dumb enough to eat wax fruit? Joe said, I ain't laughed so much since we sent him around the corner to see if it was raining that night we ditched him at Halloran's. Then I saw a picture that I remembered in my mind when I was a kid and the children in the block let me play with them, hide and go seek, and I was it. After I counted up to ten over and over on my fingers, I went to look for the others. I kept looking until it got cold and dark and I had to go home, but I never found them and I never knew why. What Frank said reminded me. That was the same thing that happened at Holleran's, and that was what Joe and the rest of them were doing, laughing at me, and the kids playing hide-and-go-seek were playing tricks on me, and they were laughing at me, too. The people at the party were a bunch of blurred faces all looking down and laughing at me. Look at him. His face is red. He's blushing. Charlie's blushing. Hey, Ellen, what'd you do to Charlie? I never saw him act like this before. Boy, Ellen sure got him worked up. I didn't know what to do or where to turn. Her rubbing against me made me feel funny. Everyone was laughing at me, and all of a sudden, I felt naked. I wanted to hide myself so they wouldn't see. I ran out the apartment. It was a large apartment house with lots of halls, and I couldn't find my way to the staircase. I forgot all about the elevator. Then, 
after I found the stairs and ran out into the street and walked for a long time, and I walked for a long time before I went to my room. I never knew before that Joe and Frank and the others liked to have me around just to make fun of me. Now I know what they mean when they say to pull a Charlie Gordon. I'm ashamed. And another thing, I dreamed about that Ellen girl dancing and rubbing against me, and when I woke up, the sheets were wet and messy. April 13th. Still didn't go back to work at the bakery. I told Mrs. Flynn, my landlady, to call and tell Mr. Donner I'm sick. Mrs. Flynn looks at me lately like she's scared of me. I think it's a good thing about finding out how everybody laughs at me. I thought about it a lot. It's because I'm so dumb and I don't even know when I'm doing something dumb. People think it's funny when a dumb person can't do things the same way they can. Anyway, now I know I'm getting a little smarter every day. I know punctuation and I can spell good. I like to look up all the hard words in the dictionary and I remember them. And I try to write these progress reports very careful, but that's hard to do. I am reading a lot now and Miss Kenyon says I read very fast and I even understand a lot of the things I'm reading about and they stay in my mind. There are times when I can close my eyes and think of a page and it all comes back like a picture, but other things come into my head too. Sometimes I close my eyes and I see a clear picture, like this morning, just after I woke up. I was laying in bed with my eyes open. It was like a big hole opened up in the walls of my mind and I could just walk through. I think it's far back, a long time ago, when I first started working at Donner's Bakery. I see the street where the bakery is, fuzzy at first, and then it gets patchy with something so real they're right here now in front of me, and other things stay blurred, and I'm not sure. A little old man with a baby carriage made into a pushcart with a charcoal burner and the smell of roasting chestnuts and snow on the ground. A young fellow, skinny, with wide eyes and a scared look on his face, looking up at the store sign. What does it say? blurred letters in a way that don't make sense. I know now what the sign, I know now the sign says Donner's Bakery, but looking back in my memory at the sign, I can't read the words through his eyes. None of the signs make sense. I think that fellow with the scared look on his face is me. Bright neon lights, Christmas trees, and sidewalk peddlers. People bundled in coats with collars up and scars around their necks. But he has no gloves. His hands are cold, and he puts down a heavy bundle of brown paper bags. He's stopping to watch the little mechanical toys that the peddler winds up. The tumbling bear, the dog jumping, the seal spinning a ball on its nose. Tumbling, jumping, spinning. If he had those toys for himself, he would be the happiest person in the world. He wants to ask the red-faced peddler, with his fingers sticking through the brown cotton gloves, if he can hold the tumbling bear for a minute, but he is afraid. He picks up the bundle of paper bags and, put it, and puts it on his shoulder. He is skinny, but he is strong from many years of hard work. Charlie, Charlie, fathead barley! Children circle around him laughing and teasing him like little dogs snapping at his feet. Charlie smiles at them. He would like to put down his bundle and play games with them. But when he thinks about it, the skin on his back twitches and he feels the way the older boys throw and he feels the older boys throw things at him. Coming back to the bakery, he sees some boy standing in the door of a dark hallway. Hey, look, there's Charlie. Hey, Charlie, what you got there? Want to shoot some craps? 
Come here, we won't hurt you. But there is something about the doorway, the dark hall, the laughing that makes his skin twitch again. He tries to know what it is, but all he can remember is their dirt and piss all over his clothes and Uncle Herman shouting when he came home all covered with filth and how Uncle Herman ran out with a hammer in his hand to find the boys who did that to him. Charlie backs away from the boys laughing in the hallway, drops the bundle, picks it up again and runs the rest of the way to the bakery. What took you so long, Charlie? Shouts Skimpy from the doorway to the back of the bakery. Charlie pushed through the swinging doors of the back of the bakery and sets down the bundle on one of the skids. He leans against the wall, shoving his hands into his pockets. He wishes he had his spinner. He likes, he, he likes it back here in the bakery where the floors are white with flour, whiter than the sooty walls and the ceiling. The thick soles of his own high shoes are crusted with white and there is white in the stitching and lace eyes and under his nails and in the cracked, shaped skin of his hands. He relaxes here, squatting against the wall, leaning back in a way that tilts his baseball cap with the D forward over his eyes. He likes the smell of flour, sweet dough, bread and cakes and rolls baking. The oven is crackling and makes him sleepy, sweet, warm, sleep. Suddenly, falling, twisting, head hitting against the wall. Someone has kicked his legs out from under him. That's all I can remember. I can see it clearly, but I don't know why it happened. It's like when I used to go to the movies the first time. I never understood because they went too fast, but after I saw the picture three or four times, I used to understand what they were saying. I've got to ask Dr. Strauss about it. April 14th. Dr. Strauss says, important thing is to keep recalling memories, memories like the one I had yesterday and to write them down. Then when I come into his office, we can talk about them. Dr. Strauss is a psychiatrist and a neurosurgeon. I didn't know that. I thought he was just a plain doctor. But when I went to his office this morning, he told me about how important it is for me to learn about myself so that I can understand my problems. I said, I didn't have any problems. He laughed and he got up from his chair and went to his window. The more intelligent you become, the more problems you'll have, Charlie. Your intellectual growth is going to outstrip your emotional growth. And I think you'll find that as you progress, there will be many things you'll want to talk to me about. I just want you to remember that this is a place for you to come when you need help. I still don't know what, what it's all about, but he said, even if I don't understand my dreams or memories or why I have them, sometime in the future, they're, they're all going to connect up and I'll learn more about myself. He said, the important thing is to find out what those people in my memories are saying. It's all about me when I was a boy and I've got to remember what happened. I never knew about things before, about these things before. It's like if I get intelligent enough, I'll understand all the words in my mind and I'll know about those boys standing in the hallway and about my uncle Herman and about my parents. But what he means is then I'm going to feel bad about it and I might get sick in my mind. So I've got to come into his office twice a week now to talk about the things that bother me. We just sit there and I talk and Dr. Strauss listens. It's called therapy. And that means talking about things will make me feel better. I told him one of the things that bothers me is about women. Like dancing with that girl, Ellen, got me all excited. So we talked about it and I got a funny feeling while I was talking, cold and sweaty and a buzzing inside my head. And I thought I was going to throw up. 
maybe because I always thought it was dirty and bad to talk about that. But Dr. Strauss said what happened to me after the party was a wet dream, and it's, natu- and it's a natural thing that happens to boys. So even if I'm getting intelligent and learning a lot of new things, he thinks I'm still a boy about women. It's confusing, but I'm going to find out all about my life. April 15th. I'm reading a lot these days, and almost everything is staying in my mind. Besides history and geography and arithmetic, Miss Kenyon says I should start learning foreign languages. Professor Niemer gave me some more tapes to play while I sleep. I still don't know how the conscious and unconscious mind works, but Dr. Strauss says not to worry yet. He made me promise that when I start learning college subjects in a couple of weeks, I won't read any books on psychology, that is, until he gives me permission. He says it will confuse me and make me think about psychological theories instead of about my own ideas and feelings. But it's okay to read novels. This week, I read The Great Gatsby, An American Tragedy, and Look Homeward, Angel. I never knew about about men and women doing things like that. April 16th. I feel a lot better today, but I'm still angry that all the time people were laughing and making fun of me. When I become intelligent the way Professor Niemer says, with much more than twice my IQ of 70, then maybe people will like me and be my friends. I'm not sure what IQ is anyway. Professor Niemer said it was something that measured how intelligent you were, like a scale in the drugstore weighs pounds. But Dr. Strauss had a big argument with him and said an IQ didn't weigh intelligence at all. He said an IQ showed how much intelligence you could get, like the numbers on the outside of a measuring cup. You still had to fill the cup up with stuff. When I asked Bert Selden, who gives me my intelligence tests and works with Algernon, he said that some people would say both of them were wrong, and according to the things he's been reading up on, the IQ measures a lot of different things, including some of the things you learned already, and it really isn't a good measure of intelligence at all. So, I still don't know what IQ is, and everybody says it's something different. Mine is about 100 now, and it's going to be over 150 soon, but... They'll still have to fill me up with stuff. I didn't want to say anything, but I don't see how, if they don't know what it is or where it is, how they know, how they'll know how much of it you've got. Professor Niemer says, I have to take a Rorschach test the day after tomorrow. I wonder what that is. April 17th. I had a nightmare last night and this morning after I woke up, I free associated the way Dr. Strauss told me to do when I remember my dreams. Think about the dream and just let my mind wander until other thoughts come up in my mind. I keep on doing that until my mind goes blank. Dr. Strauss says that it means I've reached a point where my subconscious is trying to block my conscious from remembering. It's a wall between the present and the past. Sometimes the wall stays up and sometimes it breaks down and I can remember what's behind it. Like this morning. The dream was about Miss Kenyon reading my progress reports. In the dream, I sit down to write, but I can't write or read anymore. It's all gone. I get frightened, so I ask Gimpy at the bakery to write for me. But when Miss Kenyon reads the report, she gets angry and tears the pages up because they've got dirty words in them. 
When I get home, Professor Niemer and Dr. Strauss are waiting for me, and they give me a beating for writing dirty things in the progress report. When they leave me, I pick up the torn pages, but they turn into lace valentines with blood all over them. It was a horrible dream, but I got out of bed and wrote it all down, and then I started to free associate. Bakery, baking, the urn, someone kicking me, falling down, bloody all over, writing, big pencil on a red valentine, a little gold heart, a locket, a chain, all covered with blood, and he's laughing at me. The chain is from a locket, is from a locket, spinning around, flashing the sunlight into my eyes, and I like to watch it spin. Watch the chain, all bunched up and twisting and spinning, and a little girl is watching me. Her name is Miss Kent, I mean Harriet. Harriet, Harriet, we all love Harriet. And then there's nothing, it's blank again. Miss Kenyon reading my progress reports over my shoulder. Then we're at the adult center for the retarded and she's reading over my shoulder as I write my compositions. School changes into PS 13 and I'm 11 years old and Miss Kenyon is 11 years old too, but now she's not Miss Kenyon. She is a little girl with dimples and long curls and her name is Harriet. We all love Harriet. It's Valentine's Day. I remember. I remember what happened at PS 13 and why they had to change my school and send me to PS 222. It was because of Harriet. I see Charlie, 11 years old. He has a little golden, a little gold color locket he once found in the street. There's no chain, but he has it on a string and he likes to twirl the locket so that it, it bunches up the string and then watches it unwind, spinning around with the sun flicking into his eyes. Sometimes when the kids play catch, they let him play in the middle and he tries to get the ball before one of them catches it. He likes to be in the middle, even if he never catches the ball. And once when Jaime Roth dropped the ball by mistake and he picked it up, they wouldn't let him throw it, but he had to go in the middle again. When Harriet passes by, the boys stop playing and look at her. All the boys love Harriet. When she shakes her head, her curls bounce up and down and she has dimples. Charlie doesn't know why they make such a fuss about a girl and why they always want to talk to her. He'd rather play ball or kick the can or Ringo Levio than talk to a girl. But all the boys are in love with Harriet, so he is in love with her too. She never teases him like the other kids and he does tricks for her. He walks on the desk when the teacher isn't there. He throws erasers out the window, scribbles all over the blackboard and walls, and, and Harriet always screeches and giggles. Oh, look at Charlie. Ain't he funny? Ain't he silly? It's Valentine's Day, and the boys are talking about Valentine's they're going to give Harriet. So Charlie says, I'm going to give Harriet a Valentine, too. They laugh, and Barry says, where are you going to get a Valentine? I'm going to get her a pretty one, you'll see but he doesn't have any money for a valentine, so he decides to give Harriet his locket, that is, that is his heart shape like the valentines in the store windows. That night, Abe takes tissue paper from his mother's drawer and takes it, and it takes a long time to wrap and tie it with the piece of red ribbon. Then he takes it to Jaime Roth the next day during lunch period in school and asks Jaime to write on the paper for him. He tells Jaime to write, Dear Harriet, I think you are the most prettiest girl in the whole world. I like you very much and I love you. I want you to be my valentine, your friend, Charlie Gordon. Jaime prints very carefully in large letters on the paper, laughing all the time. And he tells Charlie, Boy, this will knock her eyes out. Wait till she sees this. 
Charlie is scared, but he wants to give Harriet that, but he wants to give Harriet that locket. So he follows her home from school and waits until she goes into her house. Then he sneaks into the hall and hangs the package on the inside of the doorknob. He rings her bell twice and runs across the street to hide behind a tree. When Harriet comes down, she looks around to see who rang the bell. Then she sees the package. She takes it and goes upstairs. Charlie goes home from goes home from school, and he gets a spanking because he took the tissue paper and ribbon out of his mother's drawer without telling her. But he doesn't care. Tomorrow, Harriet will wear the locket and tell all the boys he gave it to her. Then they'll see. The next day, he runs all the way to school, but it's too early. Harriet isn't there yet, and he's excited. But when Harriet comes in, she doesn't even look at him. She isn't wearing the locket, and she looks sore. He does all kinds of things when Mrs. Jansen isn't watching. He makes funny faces. He laughs out loud. He stands up on his seat and wiggles his fanny. He even throws a piece of chalk at Harold. But Harriet doesn't look at him even once. Maybe she forgot. Maybe she'll wear it tomorrow. She passes by in the hallway, but when he comes over to ask her, she pushes past him without saying a word. Down in the schoolyard, her two big brothers are waiting for him. Gus pushes him. You little bastard, did you write this dirty note to my sister? Charlie says he didn't write any dirty notes. I just gave her a valentine. Oscar, who was on the football team before he graduated from high school, grabs Charlie's shirt and tears off two buttons. You keep away from my kid's sister, you degenerate. You don't belong in this school anyway. He pushes Charlie over to Gus, who catches him by the throat. Charlie is scared and starts to cry. Then they start to hurt him. Oscar punches him in the nose, and Gus knocks him on the ground and kicks him in the side, and then both of them kick him, one and then the other. And some of the other kids in the yard, Charlie's friends, come running, screaming, and clapping hands. Fight! Fight! They're beating up Charlie! His clothes are torn, and his nose is bleeding, and one of his teeth is broken. And after Gus and Oscar go away, he sits on the sidewalk and cries. The blood tastes sour. The other kids just laugh and shout. Charlie got a licking. Charlie got a licking. And then Mr. Wagner, one of the caretakers from the school, comes and chases them away. He takes Charlie into the boys' room and tells him to wash off the blood and the dirt from his face and hands before he goes back home. I guess it was pretty dumb. I guess I was pretty dumb because I believed what people told me. I shouldn't have trusted Jaime or anyone. I never remembered any of this before today, but it came back to me after I thought about the dream. It has something to do with the feeling about Miss Kinney and reading my progress reports. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad now I don't have to go back to asking anyone to write things for me. Now I can do it for myself. But I just realized something. Harriet never gave me back my locket. April 18. I found out what a Rorschach is. It's the test with the ink blots, the one I took before the operation. As soon as I saw what it was, I got frightened. I knew Bert was going to ask me to find the pictures, and I knew I wouldn't be able to. I was thinking, if only there was some way of knowing what kind of pictures were hidden there. Maybe there weren't any pictures at all. Maybe it was just a trick to see if I was dumb enough to look for something that wasn't there. Just thinking about it made me sore at him. All right, Charlie, he said. You've seen these cards before, remember? Of course I remember. The way I said it, he knew I was angry, and he looked at me, surprised. 
Anything wrong, Charlie? No, nothing's wrong. Those ink blots upset me. He smiled and shook his head. Nothing to be upset about. This is just one of the standard personality tests. Now, I want you to look at this card. What might this be? What do you see on this card? People see all sorts of things in these ink blots. Tell me what it might be for you, what it makes you think of. I was shocked. I stared at the card and then at him. Then that wasn't what I had expected him to say at all. You mean there are no pictures hidden in these ink blots? Bert frowned and took off his glasses. What? Pictures hidden in the ink blots. Last time you told me that everyone could see them and you wanted me to find them too. No, Charlie, I, I couldn't have said that. What do you mean? I shouted at him, being so afraid of the ink blots had made me angry at myself and at Bert too. That's what you said to me. Just because you're smart enough to go to college doesn't mean you have to make fun of me. I'm sick and tired of everybody laughing at me. I don't recall ever being so angry before. I don't think it was at Bert himself, but suddenly everything exploded. I tossed the Rorschach cards on the table and walked out. Professor Niemer was passing by in the hall, and when I rushed past him without saying hello, he knew something was wrong. He and Bert caught up with me and as, as I was about to go down in the elevator. "'Charlie,' said Niemer, grabbing my arm. "'Wait a minute. What's this all about?' I shook free and nodded at Bert. I'm sick and tired of people making fun of me, that's all. Maybe before I didn't know any better, but now I do, and I don't like it. Nobody's making fun of you here, Charlie, said Neymar. What about the ink blots? Last time, Bert told me there, there were pictures in the ink that everyone could see, and I... Look, Charlie, would you like to hear the exact words Bert said to you and your answers as well? We have a tape recording of that session. We can replay it and let you hear exactly what was said. I went back with them to the psych office and with, with mixed feelings. I was sure they made fun of me and, and tricked me when I was too ignorant to know better. My anger was an exciting feeling and I didn't give it up easily. I, I was ready to fight. As Neymar went to the files to get the tape, Bert explained, last time I used almost the exact words I use today. It's a requirement of these tests that the procedure be the same each time it's administered. I believe that when I hear it. A look passed between them. I felt the blood rush to my face again. They, they were laughing at me. But then I realized what I had just said and hearing myself, I understood the reason for the look. They weren't laughing. They knew what was happening to me. I had reached a new level and anger and suspicion were my first reactions to the world around me. Bert's voice boomed over the tape recorder. Now, I want you to look at this card, Charlie. What might this be? What do you see on this card? People see all kinds of things in these ink blots. Tell me what it makes you think of. The same words, almost the same tone of voice he had used minutes ago in the lab. And then I heard my answers, childish, impossible things. And I dropped limply into the chair beside Professor Niemer's desk. Was that really me? I went back to the lab with Bert and we went on with the Rorschach. We went through the cards slowly. This time, my responses were different. I saw things in the ink blots, a pair of bats tugging at each other, two men fencing with swords. I imagined all sorts of things, but even so, I found myself not trusting Bert completely anymore. I kept turning the cards around, checking the backs to see if there was anything there I was supposed to catch. 
I peeked while he was making his notes, but it was all in code that looked like this. WF plus ADF dash ADORIG WF dash ASF plus OBJ. The test still doesn't make sense. It seems to me that anyone could make up lies about things he didn't really see. How could they know I wasn't making fools of them by saying things I didn't really imagine? Maybe I'll understand it when Dr. Strauss lets me read up on psychology. It's getting harder for me to write down all my thoughts and feelings because I know that people are reading them. Maybe it would be better if I could keep some of these reports private for a while. I'm going to ask... Dr. Strauss, why should it suddenly start to bother me? Progress Report 10, April 21. I figured out a new way to set up the mixing machines in the bakery to speed up production. Mr. Donner says he will save labor costs and increase profits. He gave me a $50 bonus and a $10 a week raise. I wanted to take Joe Carp and Frank Riley out to lunch to celebrate, but Joe had to buy some things for his wife, and Frank was meeting his cousin for lunch. I guess it'll take time for them to get used to the changes in me. Everyone seems frightened of me. When I went over to Gimpy and tapped him on the shoulder to ask him something, he, he jumped up and dropped his coffee all over himself. He stares at me when he thinks I'm not looking. Nobody at the place talks to me anymore or kids around the way they used to. It makes the job kind of lonely. Thinking about it makes me remember the time I fell asleep standing up and Frank kicked my legs out from under me. The warm, sweet smell, the white walls, the roar of the oven when Frank opens the door to shift the loaves. Suddenly falling, twisting everything out from under me and my head cracking against the wall. It's me and yet it's like someone else lying there. Another Charlie. He's confused, rubbing his head, staring up at Frank tall and thin, and then Gimpy nearby, massive, hairy, gray-faced Gimpy with bushy eyebrows that almost hide his blue eyes. Leave the kid alone, says Gimp. Jesus, Frank, why do you always gotta pick on him? It don't mean nothing, laughs Frank. It don't hurt him. He, he don't know any better, do you, Charlie? Charlie rubs his head and cringes. He doesn't know what he's done to deserve this punishment, but there is always the chance that there will be more. But you know better, says Gimpy, clumping over on his orthopedic boot. So what the hell are you always picking on him for? The two men sit down at the long table, the tall Frank and the heavy Gimp shaping the dough for the rolls that have to be baked for the evening orders. They work in silence for a while, and then Frank stops and tips his white cap back. Hey, Gimp, Think Charlie could learn to bake rolls? Gimp leans an elbow on the work table. Why don't we just leave him alone? No, I mean it, Gimp. Seriously, I bet he could learn something simple like making rolls. The idea seems to appeal to Gimpy, who turns to stare at Charlie. Maybe you got something there. Hey, hey, Charlie, come here a minute. As he usually does when people are talking about him, Charlie has been keeping his head down, staring at his shoelaces. He knows how to lace and tie them. He could make rolls. He could learn to pound, roll, twist, and shape the dough into small round forms. Frank looks at him uncertainly. Maybe we shouldn't, Gimp. Maybe it's wrong. If a moron can't learn, maybe we shouldn't start anything with him. You leave this to me, says Gimpy, who has now taken over Frank's idea. I think maybe he can learn. Now, listen, Charlie, you, you want to learn something? You want me to teach you how to make rolls like me and Frank are doing? 
Charlie stares at him, the smile melting from his face. He understands what Gimpy wants, and he feels cornered. He wants to please Gimpy, but there is something about the words learn and teach, something to remember about being punished severely, but he doesn't recall what it is, only a thin white hand upraised hitting him to make him learn something he couldn't understand. Charlie backs away, but Gimpy grabs his arm. Hey, hey, kid, take it easy. We ain't gonna hurt you. Look at him shaking like he's gonna fall apart. Look, Charlie, I got a nice new shiny good luck piece for you to play with. He holds out his he holds out his hand and reveals a brass chain with a shiny brass disc that says stay bright metal polish. He holds the chain by one end of the gleaming gold disc, and the gleaming gold disc rotates slowly, catching the light of the fluorescent of the fluorescent bulbs. The pendant is a brightness that Charlie remembers, but he doesn't know why or what. He doesn't reach for it. He knows you get punished if you reach out for other people's things. If someone puts it in your hand, that is all right. But otherwise, it's wrong. When he sees that Gimpy is offering it to him, he nods and smiles again. That he knows, laughs Frank. Give him something bright and shiny. Frank, who has let Gimpy take over the experiment, leans forward excitedly. Maybe if he wants that piece of junk bad enough and and you tell him he'll get it if he learns to shape the dough into rolls, but maybe it'll work. As the baker set to the task of teaching Charlie, others from the shop gather round. Frank clears an area between them on the table, and Gimpy pulls off a medium-sized piece of dough for Charlie to work with. There is talk of betting on whether or not Charlie can learn to make rolls. Watch us carefully, says Gimpy, putting the putting the pendant beside him on the table where Charlie can see it. Watch and do everything we do. If you learn how to make rolls, you'll get this shiny good luck piece. Charlie hunches over on his stool, intently watching Gimpy pick up the knife and cut off a slab of dough. He studies each movement as Gimpy rolls out the dough into a long roll, breaks it off and twists it into a circle, pausing now and then to sprinkle it with flour. Now, watch me, says Frank, and he repeats Gimpy's performance. Charlie is confused. There are differences. Gimpy holds his elbows out as he rolls the dough like a bird's wings, but Frank keeps his arms close to his sides. Gimpy keeps his thumbs together with the rest of his fingers as he kneads the dough, but Frank works with the flat palm of his hands, with the flat of his palms, keeping thumbs apart from his other fingers up in the air. Worrying about these things makes it impossible for Charlie to move when Gimpy says, go ahead, try it. Charlie shakes his head. Look, Charlie, I'm going to do it again, slow. Now, you watch everything I do and do each part along with me, okay? But try to remember everything so that you'll be able to do the whole thing alone. Now, come on, like this. Charlie frowns as he watches Gimpy pull off a section of dough and roll it into a ball. He hesitates, but then he picks up the knife and slices off a piece of dough and sets it down in the center of the table. Slowly keeping his elbows out exactly as Gimpy does, he rolls it into a ball. He looks from his own hands to Gimpy's, and he is careful to keep his fingers exactly the same way, thumbs together with the rest of his fingers, slightly cupped. He has to do it right, the way Gimpy wants him to do it. There are echoes inside him that say, do it right and they will like you, and he wants Gimpy and Frank to like him. When Gimpy has finished working his dough into a ball, he stands back, and so does Charlie. Hey, that's great. Look, Frank, he made it into a ball. Frank nods and smiles. 
Charlie sighs and his whole frame trembles as the tension builds. He is unaccustomed to this rare moment of success. All right now, says Gimpy. Now we make a roll. Awkwardly but carefully, Charlie follows Gimpy's every move. Occasionally, a twitch of his hand or arm mars what he is doing, but in a little while he is able to twist off a section of the dough and fashion it into a roll. Working beside Gimpy, he makes six rolls and sprinkling them with flour, he sets them carefully alongside Gimpy's in the large flour-covered tray. All right, Charlie. Gimpy's face is serious. Now, let's see you do it by yourself. Remember all the things you did from the beginning. Now, go ahead. Charlie stares at the huge slab of dough and at the knife that Gimpy has pushed into his hand, and once again, panic comes over him. What did he do first? How did he hold his, how did he hold his hand, his, his fingers? Which way did he roll the ball? A thousand confusing ideas bursting into his mind at the same time, and he stands there, smiling. He wants to do it to make Frank and Gimpy happy and have them like him and to get the bright good luck piece that Gimpy has promised him. He turns the smooth, heavy piece of dough around and around on the table, but he cannot bring himself to start. He cannot cut it in he cannot cut into it because he knows he will fail and he is afraid. He forgot already, says Frank. It don't stick. He wants it to stick. He frowns and tries to remember. First you start to cut off a piece, then you roll it out into a ball. But how does it get to be a roll like the ones in the tray? That, that's something else. Give him time and he'll remember. As soon as the fuzziness passes away, he'll remember. Just another few seconds and he'll have it. He wants to hold on to what he's learned for a little while. He, he wants it so much. Okay, Charlie, sighs Gimpy, taking the cutter out of his hand. That's all right. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not your work anyway. Another minute and he'll remember if only they wouldn't rush him. Why does everything have to be in such a hurry? Go ahead, Charlie. Go sit down and look at your comic book. We got to get back to work. Charlie nods and smiles and pulls the comic book out of his back pocket. He smooths it out and puts it on his head to make a make-believe hat. Frank laughs and Gimpy finally smiles. Go on, you big baby, snorts Gimpy. Go sit down there until Mr. Donner wants you. Charlie smiles at him and goes back to the flour sacks in the corner near the mixing machine. He likes to lean against them while he sits on the floor cross-legged and looks at the pictures in his comic book. As he starts to turn the pages, he feels like crying, but he doesn't know why. What is there to feel sad about? The fuzzy cloud comes and goes, and now he looks forward to the pleasure of the brightly colored pictures in the comic book that he has gone through 30, 40 times. He knows all the figures in the comic. He has asked their names over and over again of almost everyone he meets, and he understands that the strange forms of the letters and words in the white balloons above the figures means that they are saying something. Would he ever learn to read what was in the balloons? If they gave him enough time if they didn't rush him or push him too fast he would get it but nobody has time charlie pulls his legs up and opens the comic book to the first page where batman and robin are swinging up a long rope to the side of a building someday he decides he is going to read and he will then be able to read the story he feels a hand on his shoulder and he looks up it, it's Gimpy holding out the brass disc and chain, letting it swing and twirl around so that it catches the light. Here, he says gruffly, tossing it into Charlie's lap. And then he limps away. 
I never thought about it before, but that was a nice thing for him to do. Why did he? Anyway, that is my memory of the time, clearer and more complete than anything I have ever experienced before, like looking out of the kitchen window early in the morning light when the, when the morning light is still gray. I've come a long way since then, and I owe it all to Dr. Strauss and Professor Niemer and the other people here at Beekman. But what must Frank and Gimpy think and feel now, seeing how I've changed? And that will do it for the first reading of Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. Thanks so much for tuning in to Carla Reads the Classics. Again, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. Until next time. Music.